You are listening to the Invitation Church podcast. To learn more about Invitation Church, visit us online at invitation605.com. You can also download our app on iTunes and Google Play by searching for Invitation 605. All right, today's reading is from Ephesians 1 through 20. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. And live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you, there must be not even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking which are out of place but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such as man is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, and find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret but everything exposed by the light becomes visible. For it is light that makes everything visible. This is why it said, Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful, then, how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your hearts to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That heals me. Got to see that's how I dream to be. I dream I move. I move. I dream I move. Like Mike. If I could be like Mike. I wanna be like Mike. Like Mike. If I could be like Mike. Okay, so I want to take you back a little bit. It's like 1994. I'm like 59 pounds, and I'm in my driveway trying to be like Mike. And I know I'm probably not the only 80s baby in the house uh, who can testify to that. You're just being quiet, and you don't want to draw attention uh, to yourself. But man, the, the hours that I spent 
trying to live out the commercial, like the move behind your back and the tongue out of your mouth. Oh, man. I spent a lot of time trying to imitate Michael Jordan. And what's interesting about imitation is that, you know, imitation really is a, is a byproduct of what? It's a byproduct of influence. And I think if we're going to follow Jesus, something that's really helpful to us is to understand, like, who our influences are. Like, what are the things that are shaping us, that are forming us, that are helping us become? You know, there's a guy who plays for my favorite baseball team, and his name's Jock Peterson. And if you're a baseball player, you know, you kind of like wear some kind of necklace. I don't know if you've noticed this at all, right? I don't really preach with a chain, but if I was a baseball player, I might preach with a chain. And he did something interesting in playoffs. He said, hey, I'm going to stop wearing my gold jewelry, and I'm going to start wearing pearls. Brave move. But it turned out that it caught on. And in the city of Atlanta, you cannot buy pearls. They are sold out of pearls. And you had these 45, 55, 65, 75-year-old men in the stands with strands and strands and strands of pearls. Why? Because of his influence. Because imitation is a byproduct of being influenced by somebody else. And early in this chapter, Paul kicks off chapter 5 by saying, Be imitators of who? Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. It's a really interesting idea to be an imitator of God. Can I tell you that it doesn't show up in the Bible anywhere else but here? It's said one time. We've been given that command, that encouragement, that call one time in all 66 books of the Scriptures. I didn't count how many verses there are in the Bible, but you could Google it. Someone has probably gone through that. Some computer has that answer for us. But it's said one time, be imitators of God. We have been told, though, Leviticus 19, speak to the entire assembly in Israel and say to them, be holy, because I, the Lord your God, am holy. So, like, be set apart. So live differently. Like, don't blend in with the crowd. And then Jesus will say later, Matthew 5, 48, be perfect, Therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So it's the idea of being whole. It's not the idea of never making a mistake. But it's not perfection, but wholeness. Like, be complete. We want everything to be held together. But so why imitate God? Like, that seems like it's one thing to imitate Michael Jordan, right? That's kind of like one level of things. But then, like, to imitate God, like, what would be the point of imitating God other than to realize that you are not him? As his dearly loved children, like, why be influenced by the Spirit? Like, like, what's the point of all that? Like, why should that be a goal? Why should that be something that we're seeking? And I think Paul would answer that for us today. For the Ephesian church, he would answer it. And for us, he would answer it just by saying, because influence is passed on. So we're to be imitators of God, not just for us, 
but that because there's going to be people who are going to come after us who are going to live in the wake of influence. I have a couple children in my house who cheer for the sports teams that I cheer for. Not because they love them, because they love me. And it's more fun to cheer for things in a crowd. But do you know today, like, your influence does not end when you one day are buried in the ground. And there's a bunch of people in a church or outside, and they sing some hymns, and they sing some songs, and they share memories. And you're raised to life in Jesus in his eternal kingdom. Your influence doesn't end. Your influence lives on. So Paul wants to say this is a big deal. That we imitate God so that our influence can live far beyond us. I want to show you Hebrews 13. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life. And imitate their faith. So like remember the people who have been helpful to you in faith. Remember the people who have poured themselves out in your life. Have helped shape how you understand God. And how you understand yourself. And how you understand the world. Remember your leaders. So I just want you to consider this morning. like Just like some of the top three influencers in your life. Just take a moment and think about it. Like, think about the people who have shaped you. Think about the people who have formed you. Think about the influence that continues to live in your life, even though maybe the person who influenced you is no longer here. Or maybe you no longer even have their phone number. And you couldn't just call them today and tell them thank you. This is the way the kingdom of God grows. Do you recognize this? That the kingdom of God grows through influence. Over and over and over in the scriptures, God will talk about a faith, not just of one person, but a faith of people. And how it starts in one person, and then it grows and spreads into a nation of people who will stand for the things of God, who will live according to the way of God. And so Paul says, hey, like, hey, don't imitate people who claim to be Savior. Because he's in this city of Ephesus. And we've talked about this before. Like there's a, there's a theater that was really important. Right? And it was impressive. It was an impressive structure. And you could go there and you could watch stories play out. And we talked about how there's a library. Remember we talked about there's a library filled with all kinds of stories and We also talked about there's a marketplace where you could go and you could buy anything you wanted to buy. Paul wants the Ephesian church and for us to know and remember that we are not called to imitate people who claim to be Savior. We are called to imitate and be influenced by the one who has shown himself to be Savior. And there's only one of those. That's Jesus. And he comes and he lives and he dies and he's raised to life. And so the resurrection, people say, well, what's the resurrection? What's the point of the resurrection? The resurrection is the proof that he is able to bring about what he promised to bring about. And so that's the Christ worth following. Don't follow the library. (laughs) Don't follow the theater. 
Don't, don't, don't claim an identity that's rooted in all the stuff that you can accumulate. No, like, pursue a life rooted in the one who can actually back up what he promised. And he told the disciples, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, and I'm going di- to die, and I'm going to be raised to life. And what does he do? He goes to Jerusalem, and he gives of his life in between two other men. And he is raised to life with power and victory in the resurrection. And Paul doesn't want this little community in the city of Ephesus to claim the wrong Savior because he knows that it won't just be them claiming the wrong Savior, but that influence will be imitated in the generations to come. And so Paul says it matters actually what we do with our life. And then verse 3, he starts to talk about how what we do with our bodies actually matters. Like it matters. He says, not even a hint. I don't know how you would quantify a hint. Maybe, I don't know, like a little amount that you can like hold in between these two fingers. Not even a hint of sexual immorality, impurity, greed, obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking. Not even a hint of these things. So I've got some cookie dough up here. I have to tell you today, it's no longer good because I got here at about quarter to six this morning. So it's no, I, so I'm not going to, I'm just going to show you it's real. I'm not going to show you it's real because I don't want to show you it's real. Everybody with me? Okay, so here it is. It's real. Um, you know, and it's like, I just think we have a, a little bit of a question today that we can ask ourselves, you know, like, what's in your life that you know might be a little bit out of place? You know, because sometimes, like, I mean, we've got all this cookie dough in here, but, I mean, are you okay with, like, a hint of cranch? This is ketchup and ranch together. What a blessing of God. (laughs) Like, are you okay with, like, that much? That's, like, not a lot. Look, it's just a little bit. I'm tempted to just, like, take a little bite. I'm not going to do it. You're not going to pressure me into it. But, like, are you okay with that? Or, like, I don't know, we also have relish up here. Relish is good, like, on a hot dog and stuff. I don't know if they had a cookie dough. Like, I bought, like, that much. Just, like, a little bit. Paul's saying, like, no, 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 not even a hint of this. Not a hint. Not even a little bit. Because all of these things are out of place for God's people. Have you ever been watching a sporting event or something on TV and someone has, like, a really gross injury with a broken bone? Anybody been in that moment? I do have some pictures. I'm just I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to show you pictures because some of us have weaker stomachs than others. But there's some kind of injury that happens and the ankle pops out of the foot and it's out of place. Right? When I was a youth pastor, we were at Sky Zone one time. And there's a gymnast in our student ministries and I looked at her right in the face and I said, be careful tonight. All the bones in your body, I want them to stay in your body by the end of the night. Can we do this? And she said, yes. I said, do you promise? And she said, yes. She did not keep her promise. 
because she was doing a backward somersault and the bones in this arm did not all stay inside of that arm. Some of them just like leaked out a little bit. <laughs> out of place. And we have a physical reaction to that. We know that's wrong. That's not the way it's supposed to be. Paul's saying not even a hint of this stuff. Not in a hint of greed. Not a hint of sexual immorality. Not a hint of coarse joking. These things are out of place for God's people. And we have an opportunity today to agree or disagree with him. This smells really bad, actually. So I'm just going to... I did not think that all the way through. So I'm just putting the lid on it. And I'm going to walk back over here. Because not a hint, everybody. So I just wonder today, like, what's in your life today? And you just know it's out of place. And you've been walking with it for a while. And I don't know about it. Your supervisor at work doesn't know about it. Your teacher doesn't know about it. But you know about it. Like what's out of place in your life? And then verse 6. Let no one deceive you. You know, it's interesting, deception works in kind of two directions, doesn't it? We can deceive ourselves, and we can also be deceived by others. Jesus talked about this in Matthew 24. Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name claiming I'm the Christ and will deceive many. So if you ask Jesus, his advice is like, hey, there's going to be a lot of people who are claiming to be truth, who are claiming to be way, who are claiming to be life, and a lot of people are going to believe. A lot of people are going to be deceived. Like, that's a promise of Jesus. So do not be deceived. And then chapter, or verse 8 to 14, he talks about living as children of the light, and living in such a way that you find out what pleases the Lord. And then in verse 15, we see that what we do with our life matters. So in verse 3 through 7, we see that what we do with our body matters. And then verse 15, like what we do with our life matters. Like it's important to live with intention. About like living with care. Like not being careless about the way that we are living our life, but to live with intention. You know, I was thinking this week, I have a nine-year-old, and there's 952 Saturdays in between birth and graduation. Anybody's keeping score at home, that's how many there are. And I'll just tell you today that I've burned through hundreds of Saturdays with him. And we have 470 left until his final semester of high school. It's important to live with intention. Because what happens if you don't? It goes fast. And then it's done. So are we living our life with care and intention? Or are we allowing ourselves to be shaped by the theater? And shaped by the library? And shaped by the marketplace? And he gives a couple encouragements. Do not be unwise, but wise. 
He kind of, it's kind of a three-tier deal. Don't be unwise, but wise. And we think about wisdom in our world, I think we think of like up here. We think of like being smart or reading a lot of books or even just old. Sometimes if you like you look old, you might, people might go, oh, that person's like probably wise. But can I tell you, it's possible to be old and foolish. It's also possible to be young and wise. Because wisdom in the scriptures is not about being smart. Wisdom is a skill that you can actually develop. And so if you look at Exodus 31, there's this story about these two craftsmen who have been called of God to build something for God's people. And the the word that gets used in in talking about they had skills in all kinds of crafts. It's this word, chokmah. It's wisdom. So wisdom then, if you ask the scriptures, is a skill that you can cultivate into bringing about potential in something. And so in verse 16, Paul says, wisdom is the skill that enables you to make the most out of every opportunity. To not just let the Saturdays fly by, but to be intentional about the way that you live. Do not be unwise, but wise. And of course, it is possible to love Jesus, to seek his way in the world, and to not be a wise person. And God doesn't love you any less. He's still poured out his grace and compassion on you. But you're not going to have the influence that you could have if you would go about the work of the skill of wisdom. So do not be unwise, but wise. And then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of God is. It's important for us to remember God's will of not being vocational, not being destinational, right? And not being geographical. So there's a lot that is not talked about in this book. Like, I don't know, where to go to college. There's no verse. I mean, I'm looking for it still, and I graduated already, and a master's degree. I'm still looking for it. It's not in here. There's not a verse about where to live. There's not a verse about what kind of job to have and when you should leave your job because your boss is a jerk. There's no verse in here for that. So when we talk about the will of God... It's not like some target on your GPS that, oh, you have arrived in the will of God. Bless your heart. It's not geographical. It's not vocational. It's formational. So the will of God is that we would be formed into the likeness of his son. That we would look like him. That we would walk in his way. And so when we talk about, when we think about the the will of God, I think we can think of it in terms of like parameters. So I have a house that I live in. And there's a lot of things I can do in that house. Like there's a couch, I have a bed, I have a kitchen, I have a basement, and there's a lot I can do in that space. But I can't behave in my house. Like I can't go over to my neighbors and behave that way. I can't go to my neighbor's house and open up the fridge and eat the cereal 
and lay down in some random bed or hang out on the couch. Like, no, like, there's, when we talk about the will of God, there's, like, parameters for it. But what happens with some of us is we get stuck in all of the rules and all the things that we think it means to be in the will of God. And it's like, as a parent, you have a little kid at home and you have three hours together and you're playing on a Saturday morning or a Saturday night and you're directing all of the stuff that your child is playing with. So now it's time to play with the teddy bear. And now it's time to play with the Barbie. And now it's time to color. And now it's time to paint. And this is honestly how some of us think of our relationship with God. That to be in his will, it's a lack of freedom. And it's a lack of life. There's this guy named Mike Iaconelli who once said this, that Christianity... It's not about learning to live between the lines. Christianity is about the joy of coloring. It's not about learning to live in between the lines, but about learning the joy of coloring. And you don't have to raise your hand today, but I'm certain that many of us had teachers who didn't like it when we colored outside the lines. Again, no reason. Don't raise your heart hand, not your real hand. And that finds its way into our relationship with God. Like, so do not be unwise, but wise. Do not be foolish, but understand what the will of God is. And in God's will, there's a freedom to explore. There's a freedom to discover. And God is not some kind of overactive parent that wants to delineate when it's time to play with the teddy bear and when it's time to sit down and paint. He wants to say, like, look at the all that I have made. And yes, I have a will for you, and it is to grow up into the person that I have designed you to be, desired you to be, and empowered you to be. But to do that you got to stop living in between the lines. And you have to trust me enough to enjoy the process of coloring. And then the third one. Do not be drunk on wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And if you're not, it leads to debauchery. And I know some of you are like, wow, debauchery, that's not a word we use very much. What's debauchery? That's what happens the day after Halloween with the sugar high. That's what debauchery is. It's an overindulgence. Living without restraint. But don't pursue that way of life. Be filled with the Spirit. And Paul wants to say to the Ephesian church, like, you need to, what I need for you to do, I need you to resist the influences that will push you away from Christ. I need you to walk away from those things. I need you to distance yourself from those things and to not imitate those things, to not be influenced in that way. And so there's just a question for us today. Like, how are you being influenced right now? And I don't know if you got this speech as a teenager, but I got this speech as a teenager. We'll see if you can finish the speech. Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. That's not what we're talking about today. Because it's easy for us, I think, when we think about influences, for us to think about people. 
That person is a bad influence. I had a couple of those in my neighborhood. That person's a bad influence. But do you know what I think Paul would tell us today? I think Paul would tell us today that having a hunger for acceptance is a bad influence. Like having this drive for this person or that person or this person over here to just accept who we are, that's a bad influence. I think you'd want to talk to us about how our desire for accumulation, like how is that influencing us? Like our desire for more things, for more stuff. How is that influencing us? I think you would want to talk to us about how our obsession with accomplishment is influencing us. Because Paul's not calling out people in the neighborhood in the Ephesian church. But he wants to say, like, you need to think about who's influencing you. Again, is it the Holy Spirit? Or is it accumulation? Is it acceptance? Is it accomplishment? Is it safety? Is it security? Is it certainty? I want to invite the band up as we close this morning, but I want to tell you a quick story. There's two men in the scriptures. There's more than two men in the scriptures, but there's two men in the scriptures I want to tell you about. Like, well, I showed up at church and he's changing the Bible all of a sudden. This is interesting. Where's the lightning? But one man we meet in the book of Luke. And the other man we meet in the book of John. And they both have a lot of money. And they both have a lot of power. And they both have a lot of influence. And the man that we meet in the book of John, we don't even know his name, to be honest with you. We know that he comes and has a conversation with Jesus. And he's like, hey, what, is it, what does it take to be in the kingdom? What do I need to do to belong? What do I do, need to do to be saved? And Jesus talks with him about being born again, about being shaped by himself, not being shaped by the world around him. And so Jesus is like, hey, you're going to need to sell everything. That whole accumulation thing you've been doing, it's not going to work. You need to let it go. So sell everything you have and follow me. And then there's another man in the book of Luke. And he was a chief tax collector. His name was Zacchaeus. And he was famous, he was known for stealing from other people. And so Rome would collect these taxes. Let's say $5. It was more than that, but let's just say $5. And instead of charging the people $5, he starts charging them $12. He's ripping them off and he's taking all of this money for himself. And one day Jesus shows up and he's teaching and Zacchaeus climbs in a tree famously children's stories tell us because he was short I think he did it because he was influenced I think he did it because he was afraid of maybe how he would be treated by Jesus how he would be treated by the people and he and Jesus have a conversation much like Jesus and the rich young ruler have a conversation And 
Jesus just says to Zacchaeus, this is a rough paraphrase, like, hey, what are you doing later? Like, I'm going to come to your house today. And you're welcome for putting the nursery song in your head while I'm telling this story. That's for free. And Jesus and Zacchaeus have this conversation at a table about his kingdom, about his way. And that conversation leads to change in the life of Zacchaeus. That he pays back what he's stolen. He doesn't just promise to not steal anymore. You ever notice that in the story? But he makes it right. He pays back everything that he's taken. And in that moment, he is influenced by Jesus and he follows him. And I just have to tell you in the scriptures, these two men haunt me. Because these are the two paths of life. To choose the path of sacrifice that Zacchaeus chose. And to choose the path of accumulation. These are the two paths for me. These are the two paths for you. These are the two paths for our church. And how we answer Jesus' call influences not just me. How I answer that doesn't just influence me. It doesn't just impact me. It impacts my boys. It impacts the children that they might have someday. And it impacts the children that come from those relationships all the way down the line because I will have influence when I'm no longer here. And so is what I do matter? Does what I do matter? Yes. Because it will live. And it's possible today for that to sound like super prideful. But can I just tell you that the reason that's true is that it's not my influence. The reason it's true is it's the influence of the Spirit in someone's life. And if there's anything that's good to hang on to that comes from living in my house, it won't be because I taught them something cool. It will be because the grace of God was evident in the power of the Spirit in their lives. And that's true for us today. And it's just good for us to know that God doesn't call us anywhere that he hasn't already been. And so the fact that he calls us to sacrifice, he's already been in that place. And so today is when you can consider in this place about what's influencing you. And is there something that needs to shift? Is there something that needs to change? And just for you to consider, like, are we going to have a Zacchaeus way of life or a rich young ruler way of life? And it's not to shame the rich young ruler. But it's just to know in the room today that these are the paths of life. And these are the paths of life that Jesus lifts up. As we said last week, the most spiritual thing we may ever do in our life is choose. And so we can listen to those words of Moses spoken over the nation of Israel, choose life. That you and your children may live. We pray with me, God, we thank you today for your faithful power.
Thank you so much for joining us on the Invitation Church podcast. I want to encourage you to take the message that you just heard and receive every part of it. Every promise from God, every declaration of his great love for you, every word of hope, every reminder that you have been made for more. Allow what you've heard to take root in your soul to allow Jesus to do the deep work that only he can do. I also want to encourage you to be part of what we are doing here at Invitation as we invite people to live the way of Jesus. Go to the app and become a regular giver, an investor in the story that God is writing in this place. Also, if you found the message meaningful, we'd love to have you share it with someone else as you partner with us in carrying the message beyond the walls of the church. I want to thank you for being here with us. Grace and peace.